0: For our next Tuesday of Men's Life, we're out there in the atrium, grab one last sip of coffee, extra scoop of berries on that oatmeal, and make your way in here. And. Get comfortable in these seats that were set up by some very helpful hands, so as always, thank you to those of you who come here even earlier than the rest of us to get things set up, cook this food, get the building ready to go. I think I tasted a little extra care and love in the oatmeal this morning, so uh, thank you for that. might have also been the extra scoop of brown sugar I snuck in, that might have been that as well. Hey, we are a little tight on time uh, today because we've got a lot of things going on, so I was told no MC antics, we got to get down to business, so we're going to jump right into things for today. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, just a, a couple of things to bring to your attention before we uh, get to our teaching time. And we've got uh, Dave Pascoe here. Uh, Many of you remember him from being our our teaching leader a couple sessions ago. He's filling in for Mike, who is away with his ECO duties. For those of you who are not part of the inside crew here, I know we've got some folks who are not part of Grace Commons. ECO is our denomination in the larger world of Presbyterianism. And Mike serves in some kind of official role, and they've got some conference meeting that he's got to participate in for that. So Dave's going to step in. You also saw some announcements that just came across the email wire yesterday by way of Steve and Tom about our dear brother Ryan, who's been part of this church for quite some time, and uh, just some real tough times they're having with their family and his wife and her health diagnosis. So please be attentive to those uh, those emails. I don't know if Tom is here today. You he may want to check in with him, and uh, he may have some follow-up information. But please be in prayer about uh, what is really a difficult situation. And we just ask for your support in that regard. Uh, one quick announcement in terms of men's life logistics. Uh, really, is just a lamb's lunch. That's kind of the main thing on the agenda today. So I saw a few names on that sign-up sheet. So thank you to those of you who are volunteering and helping with that ministry. And if you've got a little time coming up on uh, not this Saturday but the next Saturday, please get your name on that list. We can always use a little extra help. Uh, one more announcement I wanted to share with you that came in uh, just uh, recently. So our good friend Peter uh, emailed me, had a quick little message he wanted to pass on to the guys here, especially if uh, any football fans And I think we got a few football fans. So this is, uh, and I I, have, I I just got this and printed it out, so I haven't had a chance to look at the details. So let me just go with what's on the script here. So apparently Peter's got a buddy who uh, bought a package to the Super Bowl. You know, you got to buy these things like pretty far in advance. So he bought this like last year when they announced that the Super Bowl was going to be in Los Angeles, which is where he's from, so he wanted to be a part of that. You know, paid, you know, pretty penny for a bunch of tickets, but this full package deal comes with a hotel, transportation from the airport, all this kind of stuff. Okay, thinks he's living large, going to be in good shape. Turns out, though, as life would have it, he gets engaged, and the wedding is planned for the same day as the Super Bowl. Okay, so he's... Um, so he's in a, in a bit of a jam. So Peter, Peter reached out. So he's kind of scrambling, and all this is short notice. But Peter thinks, well, I I know a bunch of guys who are football fans. You know, maybe they'd be interested in this. So you know, he needs some help. Ba- basically, he needs a replacement um, for uh, not this coming Sunday, but the next Sunday, because the Super Bowl and his wedding are on the same on the same day. So if you're if you're interested in the replacement, the the wedding is at uh, United Methodist Church. Uh, his fiance is 5'5", five, five, uh, short brown hair. She's a good cook and enjoys the great outdoors. So uh, if, you're, if you're able to help uh, Peter and his friend, the replacement would be much appreciated. Okay, well with that, um, what, <laughs> yes, we, we, all, we all need a good laugh, uh, boy, with everything that's going on. So Peter, thank you for the, uh, for the announcement here. All right, why don't we? Uh, let's just spend some time in prayer as we transition to our teaching time this morning. I've also got some additional announcements uh, that Dave is going to talk about with some things going on here in the life of our church and other ministries. Well, let's just start by saying, Good morning, Lord. Uh, it's good to be here. Uh, we come with all kinds of mixed emotions and feelings. Um, A lot of us had a great weekend, exciting things happening in our families and communities. A lot of us come with pain and stress and anxiety about the future, work, family, whatever. Uh, But we come with all that today. Uh, We lay that uh, at your feet. We trust that your providence and your guidance and your wisdom will help us through all that. We celebrate with those who celebrate. We mourn with those who mourn. We lift up those in our immediate men's life family and our broader church family that are dealing with some very difficult health crises. And we trust that you as the good physician will guide us through those difficult times. Be with Dave this morning. Uh, may uh, his words be your words. Give him wisdom and insight to listen, even during this time of presentation. And we just pray for the rest of our days and the rest of our week. Keep us safe with the pending snowstorms. Get us home all safely to our families. And uh, help us be good just witnesses, with people we interact with, both at work, at home, in our communities. That we would just be exemplars of your grace and your truth in this fallen world. God, we're, we're thankful that we can come to you like this, and we ask that you would be with us this morning and the rest of this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so Dave's going to come up and uh, say a few things, but also introduce. We've got another announcement. I'll leave that to Dave. All right, the microphone is yours. Thank you, sir. It's Am I on? I'm on.
1: All right. Is this thing working? Okay, yeah. I hope this thing's working. Um, I met with Cal, it uh, was a couple of weeks ago. We had lunch, and um, he's got some really interesting stuff going on in terms of ministry opportunity things. Um, but what I want to tell you about is I didn't know this guy before we shook hands and talked a little bit. And then I'm listening to his story, and I was amazed at what God is doing in his life as well as through his life. And he's going to talk talk about the through his life this morning for a couple of minutes but the uh, that when you meet somebody who's more, you know, our age, um, who's still got this kind of passion for what God is doing in his life, it's like, I hope you pick up on his passion like I did. Because it's the kind of thing that makes you perk up your ears and go, wait a minute, sometimes I don't feel that, and I want to feel that. Because he's got some uh, experiences where, I'll just tell you this part, He thought he was a Christian, then he became a Christian. He thought he was following Christ, and then he came to that place where he knew Christ and is truly following him now in a full and complete way. And that's how that ties into the ministry that he's going to share with us this morning. So please, give him not only your ears, but your hearts.
2: Good morning, man. Is this working? I've been part of this group for about four years, and and have really enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed the group of people that I the, that I've been part of for four or five years, and <clears throat> I walk away just excited and. Uh, and uh, from the things that I learned from being with the, with the group. And uh, anyway, it's a good experience being here. Uh, I, thank you for letting me um, have a couple minutes to share with you my experience. I, I work for a, um, a men's ministry. I've been in men's ministry for 40 years. I became a believer in 1976 working with the Navigators. And I, and I believe now that it was a head decision because my heart didn't work. We'll talk about that later if you want to know what that means. But most of us men bury our hearts at a young age, and I didn't know where to find it if I I were to look for it. In 2016, I had a crisis, and Jesus came to me, and and I've learned about what it means to learn, have a heart that works, to feel accepted and loved by God for the first time in my life at 58, and uh, what that means to love others and to live from a heart, not your head. So I'm a member of a a men's organization called Reclaim Ministries. So you can go on the website. It's reclaimministries.org.com. If you go to com, you'll end up someplace else. It was founded in 2013 in Northeast Ohio. The founder now lives in Conifer, and he and I are are, uh, best friends. And so we're trying to launch it in Colorado. And so... We have two groups in, Colorado, in Conifer Evergreen area, and I have two here in Boulder, which I'll talk about that. But we have three paid staff and dozens of unpaid volunteers like myself. Um, our mission is that all men fully alive in Christ. Um, John came, Jesus came in John 10.10, 10, said he came to give us an abundant life, and I'm now realizing what... Is that better? Wow. Um, so Jesus came to give us freedom. Freedom from what? Freedom from bondage. And we all, as men, have bondage. Um, so living wholeheartedly, following the fullness of the Holy Spirit, and intimacy, which is something I didn't know about with the Trinity, with ourself, with others, being able to c- connect with men's hearts, but more importantly, to learn how to connect with God's hearts. Um, and you can't do that if you live from your left brain like I did for most of my life. Um, we're partnered with Ransom Heart, so we use most of John Eldridge's material. And uh, we, we do beyond events and things that are, that are using their material. And we can actually host their complete events, you know, in our, in our own venues, which we do that. We've got two major focuses. One is outreach. So we make an intentional effort to go out and be with men that are non-believers to, to To build genuine friendships and to share Christ in a very very intentional way to build the, to, to um, build the ability to speak into their life, show Christ, and get them to the point where they, they they will listen to you and then for for our non-believers, we have a thing called campfires, which I'd love to tell you about, which we bring young men into. We share Christ, we do stories about how to live from the heart and they're just eating it up. And, and they go i 've never heard this stuff from before i 'm seeing men that love each other that are that are not cussing that love their kids and their family and it 's something that i 've never seen." and eventually they get saved and then we put them into the other side. Our other focus is that uh, um, well let's see, for outreaches we we intentionally go out and start archery clubs or bowling clubs or golf clubs or hunting or I'm into jeeping or fishing or snowmobiling or shooting or backpacking. We go where men are intentionally to build into their lives. And then the other part is uh, caring for ourselves. So those that become believers we spend every other altern- alternating Tuesday caring for ourselves and our heart. Um, so our focus is is on our true identity in Christ, becoming what God really wants us to be. The critical activity is focusing on childhood wounds, <laughs> childhood issues that, that cause our heart to shut down so that we can't connect with the Holy Spirit and we can't have that fruitful abundant life that, that uh, Jesus tells us about. So we learn about what it means to be fathered by God, to have deep intimacy with ourselves, spouses, and others. Um, But I want to point out, people think that we're doing Bible studies, and and it's not a Bible study. We don't do scripture memory. It's not a discipleship program because we're focusing on the heart. So um, Jim Wilder is a guy living in Evergreen that published a whole bunch of books. (laughs) Here's one right here that's all about not focusing on your left brain and being an academic Christian, but focusing on your right brain and your heart, because that's how you connect with the Holy Spirit, which is what we're studying this year. So again, what does focus on the heart mean? Well, for some of us, it means to be learn to be self-aware. learns to understand feelings and emotion. Not be to controlled by them, but they are how God connects with our heart. Learning how to listen to God. Learning how to talk to God. Learning how to connect with God's heart. So, why am I up here? I'm focusing on Boulder and Boulder County is, is where I am. That's part of the reason that I'm here. I love you guys. I'm looking for six to eight men that want to learn how to live from your heart. That want to be part of my core leadership here. That... Um, trek is what we call the groups that we put um, men that are saved into to lead trek groups and to continue to that and the trip groups replicate themselves and uh, and to grow here in this area um, I guess lastly is Robert, are you here? Robert over here has been in our uh, good friend he 's been in one of my boulder trek groups for a year, so if you want to chat with him and get a you know, an input from somebody else on, on how it goes and what we do. You're welcome to chat with him. But uh, um, we're making a difference. We're finding a way to connect with, with non-believers with these outside activities. And, and we're turning them away because we can't. But we don't have enough Christian men, core men, to take care of these younger men that need help. So thank you very much.
1: Thank you. And thank you, Cal. Um, That was, you know, this is the thing where you get the stone skipping across the pond because you get little pieces, but the whole gospel for the whole man, especially for the lost man, um, I'll mention that a little bit later too, but uh, there's just a lot of opportunity. And how many feel like they have it all together? (laughs) Oh, I saw a hand back there. Yeah, okay. So good, we got three liars in the crowd. Awesome. But uh, an opportunity like that for you uh, to be involved in leadership perhaps, or um, at least getting to know about that ministry, I think it it has a lot of great potential, and I'm looking forward to hearing more about that. Well... I'm, uh, I'm glad that we can be here together to talk about spiritual warfare as part of our spirit-powered life. Um, so, spiritual warfare. How many of you have heard that term? Okay. So, what does it mean? What, give me something. Just, throw, just toss something out. Yeah, it, it does mean that sort of, but not much. <laughs> Anything? You got anything? Uh, If you were to explain it to your neighbor, what would you say spiritual warfare is? Temptation. Temptation? Sure. Okay. A battle between good and evil. Oh, I'm going to have to have your mask off to hear that. A battle between good and evil. Okay, a battle between good and evil. You guys hearing that? Feeling that? Alright. Well, I want (laughs) to... It's one of those... Everybody keeps praying about Listen to God and do what He says, especially for the speaker. So I'm old school, like Cal, where I have everything written down, and I'm standing away from my notes because I'm going to start with a different story. Um, so just buckle in. We'll be here till about 8. But... Um, I was involved in another church uh, in Reno area before we moved here. And one of the things that church did was big on missions, and we went to Chile. Um, And part of it was uh, to set up a tent for an evangelistic service. And in Chile, it's a different culture. They do things in the evening. A short worship service is two hours. Um, This particular one that night was about two and a half. And one of the things that we did afterwards was offer the opportunity for prayer. And people would come forward and be prayed for and one of the fascinating things was that we were praying in English. The people on the mission team were praying in English. All these folks were Spanish speaking and not much English. And watching what was happening was kind of revealing because the Holy Spirit was highly active. But then, toward the end, as people were beginning to filter out, one very weepy mom came forward and began to speak. Now fortunately one of the gentlemen on our group uh, was also Spanish speaking so he could translate what was going on and this woman was very deeply concerned about her son and the Shorter part is we ended up taking a a brief walk up to their apartment, and I'll tell you, it um, it was dark. I mean, not just dark at night. There was a spiritual darkness about what was going on that was really powerful, and when we got there, we saw the young man who was maybe 19, and she was concerned for his life, and he opened the door to his room where we could move in to pray for him, and it was basically black, blue, and purple. It looked like a bruise. And um, it, it was a very oppressive situation. Add to that that uh, in that area of Chile, there are packs of feral dogs. And they were barking like mad. It may have been 5, it may have been 25. But they were barking. They were so distracting. And the gals who were with us stayed in the living room part of the apartment and prayed that those dogs would stop stop they said Lord the men are going to be praying for that young man and we need those dogs to stop and that fast they stopped then we prayed for the guy and it was warfare prayer if you will God showed up in a big way I can't describe all the pieces but I can tell you his countenance changed. He was very tucked in and after we prayed and God showed up, the spirit moved and he began to say, I'm beginning to see things, again in Spanish, so it had to be translated, I did not understand. Now I'm seeing new things. And we helped the next day repaint his bedroom. Kind of, Really kind of rebaptize the room, if you will. That's the kind of thing that you may think of as spiritual warfare. And it was. But I also want to tell you about some other things. So to do that, um, we're going to aim at getting you a, a working definition so that you can take off from here this morning and have a little different idea of what spiritual warfare is about. Let's start by looking at where and when, according to scripture, spiritual warfare started. Uh, Revelation 12, 7-9 tells us, There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough and they lost their place in heaven the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray, he was hurled to the earth and his angels with him so where did spiritual warfare begin? heaven Okay. We tend to think of, uh, you know, we want to dive into the book of Genesis because it's the book of beginnings, right? It's where everything started, except it's where we started. That's where our story started. Spiritual warfare started in heaven. It may have ended up here, but it's been going on since before God put us on this planet. At the very least, the fact that this was a spiritual war between spiritual beings starting in heaven, there's your first clue. That's why we call it spiritual warfare, right? Right? Again, we cannot help uh, but experience the war and its fallout in terms of our physical or material being here on earth. And while we are certainly rather prominent in the conflict now, it isn't actually about us, at least not to begin with. Pure and simple, Satan wanted to be God. And however he swayed the troops to his cause, he attempted to wrest the throne of God for himself. But as the passage shows us, that didn't really work out very well. So, the plain fact is that spiritual warfare is real. But we also need to begin to get a hold of our place in that conflict. In other words, it may have started in heaven, but it's here now, and we are part of it. So, what do we need to do? What do we need to know? Well, let's look again at that Revelation passage. Notice that it is not God who is fighting the dragon and his angels. Details are important. Rather, it is Michael the archangel whose title means something like chief angel. His name means who is like God. So, regardless of his duties, he constantly points to the glory and majesty of the one true God. And As to his duties, what we gather is that he's essentially the captain general of the heavenly host. It's like the Lord, Michael, everybody else. Michael, at God's command, rallies the troops and defeats the enemies of God. So part of the picture that's being given in the revelation Pact. Uh, passage and elsewhere in scripture. This is very familiar territory to both John who wrote Revelation and Paul who wrote so much of the New Testament. They had their own very personal upfront and close uh, dealings with the Roman Empire and the hierarchy is reflected from heaven right into their experience. So Paul and John understand what we're dealing with in that sort of hierarchical way. There are other things, but this is what we know from what they're showing us. More importantly, though, the fight we're shown is not between God and Satan, but rather between Michael and Satan. Part of what we gather from that is that Michael and Satan are duking it out because they're on par with each other. They would be considered more or less equals. But what what is truly on display is that God is supreme because... Allah Michael's name. Who is like God? No one. Especially not Satan. Our world tends to cast things in terms of head to head. Satan and God. But who is like God? No one. No one is like God. There is only one. The deeper significance of what's going on here is that God is always large and in charge. Whatever we experience in our day-to-day struggles, God is truly supreme. But we also want to pause for a moment to make sure we get the full frame of spiritual warfare set square in our minds if our picture is askew we may fall into the disinformation traps and many other problems that come from poor intelligence on our part (coughs) so uh, step back for a second and say uh, ask this question what is the point of this fight this thing we call spiritual warfare what is the point of this fight well and we had it um, you know This is a fight between good and evil. You agree with that? Yeah? Well, that certainly has the ring of truth and it does seem to capture the gist of what's going on. And it's a great way to effectively draw a line. But that approach isn't actually biblical and it brings a host of problems that we have to live with every day. Complications arise arise here partly because we're the ones drawing the lines. And defining terms. So yes. Good and evil are actually part of the equation. But the actual fight is about something else. The actual fight is about who you trust. This is where we pick up the human story. Of spiritual warfare. And now we do turn to Genesis. So chapters 1 and 2. Creation of all things. And we hear... Uh, this day and that day, this thing is created, and at the end of each day, what did God say? It is good. It is good. He created this, and it is good. And the last day, day six, he created us, and he said it is very good. Right? So then we come to chapter three, which begins with this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. And this is where the serpent or the devil or Satan makes his entrance into our story. In Revelation, John notes that he is the one who leads the whole world astray. So the scheme of the devil, as always, is to lure humanity away from God, beginning with Adam and Eve. He is immensely clever and completely deceptive, using partial truth. Am I okay on this? I'm getting a little... Poppin, Okay. All right. Well, and even all the microphone stuff you can attribute to an element, a little tinge of spiritual warfare. It's like the enemy does not want us to know the truth. Amen. So making it difficult. The devil leads the whole world astray. Eve was tempted... Adam gave silent consent, and Satan managed to get them to betray God, turning once loyal hearts in on themselves. So the primary battlefield was formed in the human heart. Remember that God designed us to worship him. So we will worship something. If we don't worship God, then effectively any and everything else will fill in that gap. Once our loyalty has been turned away from God, we are in the fight of our lives. We are stuck on ourselves and simply cannot see a way forward let alone the path back to God. It's a little bit what Cal was talking about. The enemy separates us inside ourselves, let alone between one another and from God. And the war within even our left brain right brain, we bury our feelings. And you guys ever bury your feelings? Yeah, that's what I thought. Me too. This is why we often use the term lost to describe our human predicament. We've got all these things going on. It's like being in a dust storm. We can't even find our way out. It's such a mess. That moment in the Garden of Eden was like a bomb going off. The explosion rocked our foundation, destroyed our connection with God, and displaced us from our very good home that God had made. The road out was cursed by shame and blame, division and pain, and now it takes all our efforts to eke out even the barest shadow of what God meant for us and wants for us. Yet God pursues us throughout, still seeking relationship and seeking to effect redemption in our hearts and lives. He wants restoration. The enemy wants to destroy that. The whole of the Old Testament portrays that kind of journey and always asks us, Who will you be loyal to? You can take that rubric and apply it to every story. It's asking who you will be loyal to. To the God who seeks you and provides redemption or to something else. Let's uh, jump forward in time and witness another moment of temptation found in Luke chapter 4. Jesus, the promised Messiah, our Savior, is about to begin his public ministry. His cousin, John the Baptist, has hailed him as the Lamb of God and baptized him in the Jordan River. Onlookers see the dove of the Holy Spirit resting on Jesus and hear the voice of God proclaiming him, This is my son with whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Then that same spirit leads Jesus out into the wilderness to pray and fast for 40 days and 40 nights and in that weakened condition the devil comes to tempt Jesus well guess what just like the Garden of Eden we hear the same clever twisty scheme out of his mouth seeking to turn Jesus's loyalty away from God the devil crafts his duplicity to each person but the goal remains the same disloyalty but as we know Jesus succeeds where we fail his loyalty never fades the details of their confrontation in that passage are rich and merit a lot more attention than we can give time but for now hold on to three prongs of attack Satan uses three prongs to attempt to divert and pervert Jesus, the same three that he uses on us. Very simply, the world, the flesh, and the devil himself. Now, these are big terms, and we're going to, like I said, rock skipping across the pond. We're getting a lot of information in a hurry. Let me share Francis Chan uh, quote with you. Very pithy summary of the contrast between the devil's very anti-God approach and what Jesus gives us. Here's what Francis Chan says. The world says, love yourself, grab all you can, follow your heart. Jesus says, deny yourself, grab your cross, And follow me. Pretty distinct contrast. And hold on to our greatest resources when our temptations come. Jesus does not rely on himself. You'd think the Lord of the universe would be okay against Satan, right? I mean, he's even above Michael, amen? But instead, what he relies on is... The Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And if that's good enough for Jesus, I'm pretty sure it's good enough for us. How many of you feel like you're capable of facing the temptations in your day on your own power? Yeah, good laugh. Yeah, not going to happen. Jesus relies on the Spirit and Scripture to thwart the schemes of the devil. Jesus shows us the simple truth that the conflict is beyond our capabilities, period. This is a rubric. It's a spiritual principle. It's a law of life. There is never a time where we can say, it's okay, Lord, I got this one. Not that we don't say that. We're just not able to follow through on that. We don't have what it takes. But that's good news. Because God does. We're not supposed to rely on ourselves. We were never supposed to rely on ourselves. To help us understand the nature of our spiritual warfare a little better, we also need to take a brief look at our adversary, the enemy, the devil, the serpent. Ezekiel 28 shows us that God created Satan with with great splendor, but Satan was corrupted by his own magnificence. It's really another way of describing pride. He was turned in on himself. We saw in Revelation how he seduced other angels into war, and they were all cast down. So we also know Satan as a fallen angel. He's also known as the deceiver and the tempter and the accuser of the brothers and sisters because of his actions in the garden and his relentless attacks on humanity ever since. Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians 11 that he masquerades as an angel of light. He knows how to make himself look good even though he's totally corrupted. 1 Peter 5.8 warns us, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He is an endless hunger. He is a spiritual black hole. Bottom line, Satan is still powerful. Just because he's thrown down doesn't mean he's lost all his power. He's actively bent on our destruction, because we are the apple of God's eye and he can't stand that but he is also already a defeated foe in the cross of Christ now we need to be aware of the strategies that Satan employs against us, uh, Cal mentioned and I love it, John ten ten outlines both the tired scheme of the devil and God's counter strategy in Jesus so Satan the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says of himself, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, or have it abundantly. Satan is aimed one way, Jesus is aimed the other way. And it really is, part of what I want you guys to walk out here with is that sense that this really becomes a very binary kind of choice. Sure, there's a lot of details and there's a lot of interesting things, but it's always God or something else. It's Satan here in this passage or it's Jesus. There is no in-between. Jesus also tells us in John 8 about Satan. He was a murderer from the beginning and has always hated the truth. There is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan deceives, misleads. He attempts to focus us on what's wrong and what's missing. Anybody ever have that moment where they think, why can't I get this right? Why do I always get everything wrong? What's wrong with me? Anybody have a moment like that? As a, how many of you are dads? You've had that moment. <laughs> uh, when our son became a teenager and changed from a smiling, bubbly little boy, happy to be with us and stuff, and it turned into, Hey, lad, how you doing? <clears throat> uh, everything okay? <clears throat> And his constant refrain was, it's not fair. Yeah. Fortunately, I I looked at him and I said, you know, we'll get through this together, but just understand that I've never been the father of an adolescent before, so maybe we can make our mistakes and help each other out. He seemed to like that idea. Satan diverts us from seeing God's provision, abundance, and extravagance. We have an extravagant God. He's not chintzy. He's not going to dole out little bits to us. He loves us too much. Satan tries to lure us to our death in every way in order to suck our souls right out of us. Well, spiritual warfare, what, what can we do about it? When I was uh, in third grade, my best friend was Kent Richards, and we were with a bunch of guys over at the schoolyard playing over the line, uh, a form of baseball. And you hit a ball, and you uh, go back and forth on the field. It seemed like every time we were passing each other Kent was picking at me, and I had no idea why. And it really was starting to tick me off. So one time I just, I said, what is wrong with you? And he said, you! And I'm thinking, what, where did this come from? So he's picking more at me and pushing at me, and then I'm pushing at him, and of course, what happens when a couple of eight-year-old guys start pushing each other on the ball field? Everybody else gathers around and cheers you on. You know, And so we're trying to throw punches, and in about you know, 20 seconds, we're down on the ground wrestling and, and elbowing and whatnot, and suddenly we both just started laughing. And it, you know, the whole thing probably lasted a minute, felt like an hour. but we were just stupid kids. One of the things was, we literally did not know how to fight. Do you ever feel like that when it comes to things, the, the things of God and spiritual warfare in particular? Do you ever feel like you just don't know how to fight? In looking at spiritual warfare, let's uh, have a brief outline about how to fight. The first thing you need to do is clear your head. And here let me quote C.S. Lewis. From the screw tape Letters, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. And perhaps you've heard this before. The greatest trick of the devil was to get convince people that he does not exist. Yet Jesus clearly speaks to the reality and truth of our adversary, so we should neither discount nor inflate the existence of the devil in our world. You have to have that peace in mind, guys. He's real but he's a defeated foe. You're going to have to deal with him, but you're not on your own. This is real stuff. Then you can use the three-step pattern that Paul gives us in Ephesians six ten through 20. And let's set this in our own context currently. <clears throat> Do you think that the world we live in seems to have some struggles right now? The ongoing global struggle and conflicts of COVID illustrate this. Current political strife and division are, frankly, exhausting. Do you love your mask? I hate mine. Closer to home, our own journey as a church displays a pretty fair amount of exertion and toil. And then again, the immense tragedy of the Marshall Fire. And we need to remind each other that this is an ongoing reality. The fire happened, but the recovery is going to take a long time. All of this forms sharp reminders of how fragile life is. In the midst of what battle or strife we may be in, global or individual, we are are told to take our stand in three important ways. Verse 10, we first step into power. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. As we said earlier, even in his own temptation, Jesus did not rely on his own strength, but on the power of the Spirit. And the word of God. Take an honest self-assessment and decide if you would rather rely on you or on God. There's that binary thing again. From the least little kerfuffle to the biggest fight in your life, you can depend on God. So stand still. Second, in verse 12, step back from the enemy. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Where did spiritual warfare start? In heaven. The enemy is never the person or group you're looking at. Across the table, across the street, across the aisle, across the country, across the ocean. Who you see with your own eyes may look or feel like your enemy, but step away from that fight and see in the spirit who is really behind the struggle. Satan, the devil. And you can't handle him, but that's okay because God already has. So stand still. Third, as portrayed in verses 13 through 17, step into God's protection. The slide, we got the slide? Um, get slide. I, I brought this, but I knew it would be too small. There we go. That's a, that's a, a depiction of Roman armor that Paul used. This is what he was looking at. Um, Not this very thing, obviously, but he was used to seeing those guys in that outfit, so this is what he used to describe God's armor for us. Just as we can rely on God's power, we can be confident of his provision. Our world is full of struggle and skirmish. Sometimes it's at least hostile. Sometimes it can be terrifying. We are told in this world that it's dog eat dog. We are also told it's all on you to fight your own way out. We're even told that we have to win or go home. And defeat is never pretty. In such a world nowhere is actually safe. But God bids us to stand still in his armor. Psalm 34.7 reminds us, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. 2 Chronicles 20, the Lord tells his people, Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, and in our case, vast unseen army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. God will never leave us alone. He does not throw us naked to the wolves and say, good luck. He does, in fact, cover us with his own armor, and he fights the battle. Paul tells us four times in this Ephesians passage to stand in that armor. Stand, stand, stand. If you see stuff mentioned twice in Scripture, it's a big deal. Three times, God is really wanting to knock you in the head to get the point across. This is the only time it happens four times, guys. Stand still in Him. Wait on God. Now, with that grand sweep of spiritual warfare, I want to offer you that working definition. It's on your worksheet. Like any useful principle, it can help draw a clear line for us to measure our spirit-powered life in a very broken world. Spiritual warfare is the leveraging of everything that God promises against everything that opposes God's purposes. I'll read that again. Spiritual warfare is the leveraging of everything that God promises against everything that opposes God's purposes. God purposes to redeem and save us. He purposes to sanctify us and bring us back to health and wholeness. Right brain, left brain. Satan and his forces oppose all that. God wants to grow us to maturity in the likeness of Jesus. The enemy wants to still and kill, and destroy. Jesus brings us life to the full. Satan lies and deceives, seeking to distract, disarm, and derail us. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our ancient enemy, the devil, would dislodge our loyalty to God alone and separate us from Him forever. Jesus died on the cross and rose again that we might be one with the Father forever. And this thing about leveraging, we're not doing the leveraging. God is doing the leveraging. God has set things up so that all the pieces are in place We choose to stand still and believe that it is God's power in the Holy Spirit and his provision for us in his own word, and then he will fight the battle. He leverages everything in his kingdom for us whenever the enemy tries to take it away from us. And on that, gentlemen, you can take your stand. Amen? Amen then I choose to tell you to take your stand so we can pray. Stand up. Bow your heads with me. Father God, thank you that you love us so much that you sent Jesus to die in our place. Also, thank you that you sent him to show us how to be men to live the life that you are choosing to give us through him. God, thank you for showing us that spiritual warfare is a reality in our everyday life. But thank you for giving us everything we need to trust you to fight that battle. God, help us to take our stand in this moment and every moment and bless our discussion time together in small groups as we go there now. In Jesus' name. And all guys, men said, amen. 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 Go get them.